Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. This is a special episode of the Smart Economy Podcast dedicated to ETH Denver 2023. The first ETH Denver event was held in 2018 and has become the quote, largest and longest running Ethereum hackathon in the world, end quote. And the event holds a special place in my heart because it brings a global community of builders to Colorado and the general Intermountain West region of the US. This is a part of the country that I feel is striving to be as forward thinking and blockchain friendly as possible. For instance, the current governor of Colorado was the first congressman to accept Bitcoin for his re-election campaign in 2014. And in 2022, it became possible to pay for our state taxes using cryptocurrency. This year's ETH Denver also marked a milestone for the community building event. It had outgrown its previous location of the iconic Denver Sports Castle. The Sports Castle was built in 1926, and the building itself is a prominent feature on Broadway, one of Denver's busiest downtown roads. The Sports Castle was ETH Denver's home for its first five years, and there was an emotional attachment to the building. This is a point that we'll touch upon later in this episode. Instead of our spiritual home for the previous five years, the herd of biddlers were gathered at the Denver Western Stock Show Complex, a wise decision in retrospect as there were more attendees at ETH Denver 2023 than attended all the years prior, cumulatively. This year, there was a 50% growth in the previous year's attendance alone at about 48,000 attendees and 15,000 unique attendees. The floor space at the new venue was massive, with hundreds of thousands of square feet. The main hall boasted hundreds of booths for Web3 companies, at least five main stages for presentations, a gargantuan amount of tables for hackathon teams to collaborate over, and just generally buzzed with activity. Overall, despite the market sentiment, the building mentality was stronger than ever, and this was exhibited by hackathon final projects such as building on Bitcoin through inscriptions, spinning up effective and safe burner wallets, using DeFi protocols to contribute to social causes, and so many more cool projects. While the builders were brimming with activity building cool products, there was also an air of uncertainty that lingered. So many of the panelists and presentations on those main stages, particularly from VCs and lawyers, discussed regulatory concerns and the opportunities and constraints that are currently in the crypto space. That said, with this merry bunch of Web3 participants, the positives definitely outweighed the negatives. Walking away from ETH Denver this year, I felt my thesis was further confirmed. It is safe to say that blockchain will continue to grow. And from a regulatory perspective, if one jurisdiction isn't favorable to a crypto company, then another one will be. The networks will continue to grow, and peer-to-peer -peer decentralized solutions will continue to embed their way into everyday life. This is why the Smart Economy podcast exists. There is a shift in the way that people can contribute to and participate in digital economies. People no longer need to locate in geophysical agglomerated regions like Silicon Valley. They can instead contribute to a new economic paradigm from anywhere in the world with a laptop and an internet connection. Listeners, we are at the forefront of the new digital frontier. So while I was walking around ETH Denver, I wanted to see what some of the other attendees thought about the general atmosphere of the broader blockchain and crypto space. There was a good mix of folks that we spoke with for this episode of the Smart Economy podcast, ranging from the entrance of the class of 2020 and 21 to those who were directly impacted by the collapse of Mt. Gox. To set a tone for the rest of the episode, I wanted to hear a little bit about people's perspective of the crypto space and what they like about these in-person events. Hillary Sims from the Wazis NFT project and Bullish Terriers said, 
Yeah, this is my first crypto conference ever. The thing I think is the craziest is that, you know, you really see how massive the space is when you see this many people here and you start talking and you find out that they, you have no idea what product they're building, where they're from. You don't know any of the same people. And it's like, literally, we've both been in the same space for how many years and we don't know who we're talking about. So like, it was pretty refreshing to like talk to you and like, have you know about all the OG uh, CT memes and drama. And- Hillary has been in the crypto space for a while. So it was really interesting that this was actually her first event ever. Though this experience wasn't unique to just her. Leo Gwynn is a senior at CU Boulder and is building Fanguard, a ticketing platform that leverages NFTs. He touched upon how hard it can be to discuss blockchain with people out in the wild who are not in the industry. Personally, it's like the past, I don't know, six, six seven years ish, I'm just learning about crypto. Uh, it, it's been more of a solo adventure, um, just learning myself and maybe like talking to my family and they're like, oh, Leo, just shut up. I don't care about this. And and coming here and and, oh, and, and through CEO Blockchain Club too, but also just meeting more people here, I can just like nerd out too, um, which is great because I like to nerd out all the time. And <laughs> this is my, my way to just meet new people, meet actual faces, meet people I met online. And it's just great to connect in person because meeting online is great, but getting to see the person, getting to see their body language, and how they interact with the world is so different. And I, I really value that. Something that I love about events like this is just running into random people that you never thought you would have met. While I was standing in line for a hero, I got to chatting with a newer industry entrant who is building a mobile game that incorporates NFTs. Scott Herman, the director of talent acquisition at WagMe Games, said, Everyone in this space is... It's very open. People are just happy to talk. And it's because this market is such a, an emerging space where everyone here is more focused on increasing the size of the pie versus trying to take a small slice for themselves. Mm-hmm. And because everyone understands that, I feel like it's... I look forward to these events. Like, I'm going to meet so many cool people. I'm going to make some new friends. I'm going to get people to try my game and give me their honest opinion about it. I, just, I really like it. It wasn't just those who were attending their first crypto conference that felt that the buzz was palpable. For many in the space, these in-person blockchain events are among the handful of times they might ever get to physically meet someone that they work with on a day-to-day basis. James Young from Collabland said, I've been a developer for a long time. Like This July, I'll be 51, and this is still the most kind of I don't know, like, it's weird, like, the learnings and the constant innovation I've never seen before. And it's so interesting to me because we deal with this, like, quote-unquote, trustless technology. But going to these conferences, uh, I think, you know, for me, I've made more friends and, like, connections here than I ever have before. And such a short amount of time um, because the innovation happens way too fast. There's no way that you're going to be able to know everything. So you want to like size up devs and like, okay, well, I know they know what they're doing and what they're saying. So I want to pick their brain on stuff because that's the only way you're going to be able to shorthand all the innovation that's happening. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's a kind of a balance. And then you want to pay it forward and give back to people. And so like want to help new devs out. And so it's all like constant like recalibration. And ETH Denver veterans were also excited about the people who have attended year in and year out, as well as those who are brand new to the space, bringing the passion and drive. One of the things I noticed at this year's event was much more hoodies and jeans compared to the amount of eccentric rainbow clothing and funky costumes from years prior. I posited this theory to ETH Denver co-organizer and former Shapeshift head of R&D, Kent Barton. Yeah, I mean, I, I think honestly it would still be ETH Denver even if everybody decided just to wear like a uh, leather jacket and dress like all metal and black. That's how I uh, frequently dress. Uh, the, the colorful stuff is sort of part of the brand, but like people should just dress however they want. And ultimately, it's like beyond the surface level stuff of what you're wearing. It's really about what are you working on. Um, also, I feel like 
sometimes like to, to the outsider that might otherwise be interested in this space the um the crazy stuff is like maybe a little bit alienating because it's like well i didn't sign up for that that stuff what is this crazy neo hippie sh-? you know like <laughs> um so I, I'm, I'm really glad that there is a balance and there should always be room for people to dress however they want even if you want to show up in a suit and tie like dude if that's your thing cool you know it's like it's not about what you're wearing it's about who you are what are your ideas do you want to hang out that's kind of what it's all about This year's ETH Denver was packed with so many different types of ideas from the participants. Something I've always appreciated about the blockchain space is how anyone can carve out a role for themselves if they really want to be a part of the industry. I included this next portion of the podcast to highlight the different crypto timelines of the attendees at ETH Denver. Hillary from Bullish Terriers talked about what brought her into the space and what still amazes her. I got into the scene, um, you know, bought Bitcoin like early, like maybe 2014. Not not a lot, just little bits. Um, I've always been like super interested in the tech. Started, got into mining and like, like <laughs> was it, yeah, mining coin. Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I had ant miners and, um, you know, we'd go to like the local Texas miner meetups and whatnot. And like my brother was into it. Whenever all the... This, the ICO season happened and I just kind of like jumped in full force researching um, what to buy, what to sell and like um, kind of fell in love with, uh, you know, the really crappy <laughs> coins. <laughs> it's just fun. Like the that part of the trading like is exhilarating. To me, it's kind of like a, a, astonishing to see that actually some of those you know, projects made it and, and are still around today. And like, you know, I'm still holding some of these <laughs> tokens, which yeah. is cool. Scott from Wag Me Games highlighted how he was able to leverage his social media experience and success in the fitness industry to join the team of a blockchain-based game, even though he was relatively new to the crypto space. YouTube kind of just started and Twitter just came out and I was like, you know, I could help people in my club that couldn't afford a personal trainer if I made these how-to videos on how to use all the equipment in my gyms. And at that point, there was no algorithms, right? I could I could upload 10 videos at a time and it didn't matter. Right, right. It was great. And they're all one to two minute videos, like how to bench press, how to bend over row, how to pull up, how to how to anything. Yeah. You know, my, my how-to plank video has like 30 million views. It's crazy. But... That really taught me, you know, hey, social media, there's something here. You can connect people all over the world. And it was, it really allowed me to do what I wanted to do, which was teach fitness to the world. Fast forward to 2021, and I started kind of getting into crypto. I had a friend tell me to buy Shiba Inu. And that was my, that was my intro to crypto was, hey, buy Shiba Inu. So I started a crypto YouTube channel and I was very warm welcomed into the community because I would go on live streams from other crypto channels Mm -hmm. with my Scott Herman Fitness YouTube channel handle. And by the end of my first crypto year, exploring like altcoins and DAOs and all these different things, I started to realize that what was probably going to take off first for crypto and really make it mainstream was gaming. Because in gaming, the utility isn't the stuff you're making up to try to create utility. It's the game. And if the game is fun, then people will buy the NFTs. And if you can figure out how to integrate the token that makes sense, people will buy the token. But the main focus has to be the game. When I first heard about Bitcoin, it sounded really interesting, but there was way too much to learn, and I quickly wrote off the entire space. In fact, sometimes I still feel like I can't keep my head wrapped around a lot of the new blockchain-enabled products and technologies that are coming out on a consistent basis. I am sure this is something that resonates with many. Mike Chan, the thesis head of marketing, acknowledged this, but also had a positive outlook on the amount of knowledge that's necessary. In the crypto space, been working for about uh, four years now. Okay. Um, you know, but been you know like many other people, uh, investing for a while since 2013. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's it's obviously a space that has uh, has changed a lot, um, and that's one of the, the parts that I love about it. It's just the just constant change. You got to keep up. Uh, but yeah, we're we're building the future here. There are a wide swath of reasons why someone might become interested in crypto and blockchain technologies. It could be from a monetary stance, an artist's perspective, 
desire for open and decentralized networks, political ideologies. Really, there are just so many reasons why someone might become interested in this industry. Alex Mexicot from the People Talking podcast shared a bit about his genesis into crypto. I came from a more traditional light bulb moment that a lot of people, like the early people, can, uh, came into the space for. Uh, I was an economics major. I, I look at the world through the lens of economics, and I worked in the tech space for a while. And like many other people, I had that initial uh, introduction to Bitcoin and Ethereum, thought it was cool, didn't really dig too much into it, and then left it for a few years. And then you come back to it, dive down the rabbit hole, and you're like, Shit, why didn't I listen to myself <laughs> back then? I would say sometime in college, so probably somewhere in the 2015 to 2016, like early Ethereum days, I'd heard about it. And just the, the fact that it was this kind of decentralized technology that was more of like a world computer that you can build on top of the applications, that to me more than Bitcoin and anything else coming from like being interested in the tech world, I saw the initial, uh, the value of that. But come late 2020, early 2021, just the political landscape that was going on, I kind of, I, I already had this kind of cautious approach to authority and to government and not just blindly trusting and being very aware of how this could snowball, right? Um, but there were things going on there where I just had this, this break that I was like, I really just have zero confidence in the trajectory right now. Like things are accelerating in terms of how bad they can get. Yeah. So I started looking at alternatives and naturally that brings you back to the space. And at that point, it was obviously way, way, way more mature. So there were a lot more, not only a lot more content for me to, to read, uh, documentation, videos, like things that people are trying to create to bring in that next wave of people. I was that wave at that moment. But a lot of use cases were really built out and we realized this yeah. was no longer a theoretical thing. These things were built out. And there's always that next wave of, here's what else we could do. Here's what else we could do. Let's take this concept out to the nth degree. Here's what's possible. And that just got me super, super excited. I was immediately killed. And I just dove deep down the rabbit hole. In 2019, I participated in a panel at a local Colorado blockchain event debating the merits of EOS, NEO, and Ethereum. At that time, we were in the depths of a post-ICO bear market, and it seemed like there were only builders that were attending these events. At this year's ETH Denver, I ran into one of my co-panelists from that event that represented the Ethereum perspective. James Young, the co-founder and CEO of Collabland, shared a bit of his experience from back then and how the ethos of crypto is still alive today and how that keeps him going. In 2019, and we are like, when we had that talk, that panel conversation, if I remember correctly, we were still kind of in the thick of a bear market. And my thoughts back then were, okay, our blockchain, crypto, Web3, is it actually gonna be relevant or not, right? There was kind of this existential questioning in the bear market. Because I think from what I remember, ETH was like at the peak 1440 and then it dropped down to 80. Yeah. And so that was this kind of questioning. This bear market, if it's your first bear market, it definitely is impactful and uh, it could be shocking. But I don't think in this cycle, I haven't had existential issues. Yeah. Right. So I think now it's about mainstream adoption and really it's about like, can we stay true to our original ethos? Uh, you know, you see all these scams and centralized exchange hacks or all of the regulatory issues that are happening. And I think it's a different kind of concern. But I think going through kind of the previous cycles, I guess, I don't know, I get thicker skin or, you know, not as worried or, you know, we've been through this before. It doesn't seem as like, you know, kind of, oh man, like, is this going to work out? It feels like this cycle is more about how do we stay true to kind of the original ethos. And it's interesting to like see people and not 
see people who's still in it and who's like tapped out and so yeah i mean it's great seeing you here because Likewise. you know it's this kind of constant thread of people you know still here and it takes that i think time horizon to really vet out who's in it for the right reasons during my tenure in the blockchain industry something has always stuck out to me it doesn't matter whether you've got a 30-year career in finance under your belt or you're a high school student who likes to tinker with blockchain. Everyone is even on the blockchain field because the information is open and available for anyone and everyone to consume. And this is such a young, early, nascent field. So it was really interesting to hear about Leo's experience, even though he is quote unquote, still in college. When I was in high school, funny story is I went on a cruise and, and I started seeing newspapers back in 2017, Bitcoin reaching 20K all-time highs. I'm like, what is this? What is this? Um, but, but the funny part is is actually before that, I think 2015, 2016, I, I was thinking of buying silver or Bitcoin because I was, I was just young. I wanted to invest in something. But unfortunately, I bought silver instead. And I still regret it to, to this day. But <laughs> I... I I was under 18, so I was under the impression that I couldn't buy Bitcoin, but I could have definitely found like a shady exchange or whatever. Away. Yeah, some <laughs> way. There's always a way. There's a will. There's a way. But I I always regret that ever since. But it's it's all right. So like when I first turned 18, finally uh, I bought Bitcoin back in 2019. So that was before like this other cycle. So I'm, I've been pretty comfy. And it's 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 pretty nice to see like just like the cycle of everything and seeing how that works. Given the various experience levels and general industry outlook, I really wanted to get a sense of what others thought about ETH Denver. Over the years, I'd certainly developed my own insights, and this year I noticed a bigger gathering of people and more unique projects at the event. But I wanted to hear what others thought and if they were getting this sense as well. I was particularly interested to hear what Dan Shields a developer experience engineer at Parity Technologies and former guest of the Neo News Today podcast thought on that subject matter. He has been a staple in the local Colorado blockchain community since 2017 and has attended every ETH Denver. He said, Oh man, so I, I just watched this uh, Denver 7 News uh, like blip that came up this morning and uh, so the vibe has changed in how big this thing is. The local news stations talking about the governor coming and to this uh, as they de deemed it the uh, Super Bowl of crypto, <laughs> uh, which I thought was kind of cute. Um, but we're very well established. And John Pollard came on and his quote was basically like, this year we have more people than all previous five years combined. It's crazy. Which is nuts. Yeah. Right? Uh, and looking at this, you can see it. We're in this massive venue that's like a maze. In fact, it's this, like, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of square feet that you can't tell where you are. Like, <laughs> it's like just jungle of sponsors and booths to meet people at. <laughs> the thing though that's different this year from last year, and last year, to be honest, I was a little, little concerned. We were in the top of this, you know, bull market phase, and there's a whole bunch of hype and money, and it was a, like, forgive my friend, it was a party. And what got diluted, which was really unfortunate and made me worry, was all this like energy and culture around building a better future that I'd seen before. It was more just like, we're here to have a good time than like, we're here for a reason. Yeah. And this year feels more, a lot more like we're here for a reason, which is super cool, especially seeing that we're growing and the culture's back. Yeah. So like, if anything, this makes me super bullish about this year moving forward is, uh, I love the bear cycles for the people and the culture that it brings out. The one thing that hasn't changed year to year is the growth in the biddlers that are here, which is amazing to see, you know, and it seems like the culture is thriving no matter what the fiscal environment is like. Another industry veteran and friend, Michael Perklin, the former Shapeshift Chief Information Security Officer and current C4 board chair, shared what he loves about ETH Denver. Honestly, I love the vibe of ETH Denver more than any other conference that I attend every year. It's a vibe of uh, building or biddling, I should say. It's a vibe <laughs> of fun. People are in uh, fluorescent colors, shiny things. I myself, as I, uh, as I speak to your listeners, I'm wearing a unicorn cape, which is very apropos for this venue. That 
a blend of getting stuff done and building alongside, well, let's do it in a fun way. That vibe has always attracted me, and I, I think it's one of the uh, main reasons why Ethereum has done so well over the years since it's launched. Alex from the People Talking podcast also noted the growth in participants and the energy of the crowd. He too is a Colorado local and has attended multiple ETH Denvers and highlighted how the event has matured over the years. He said, This is my second or third ETH Denver. I think I just missed the one two, three years ago. So I The virtual one? one. Well, it, it actually might have been virtual. That's probably why I didn't hear much about it. Uh, I've been to other MCONs here, but... This was already when East Denver was big, and it's just, it's still growing at an exponential rate. And yeah. It's still big. And I think people are just still blown away by how many people show up, especially now in a bear market. It's pretty, it feels a lot better seeing how many people are here and how energized people are yeah. in a bear market. It's not just like a, the attendance rates fluctuate with uh, the token price. That's really, really good to see. You can tell it's just, this is not an investor focus or just a price focused type of community. Totally. A lot of the stuff I'm seeing on Twitter is people are just really, really fired up at some of the things being built and how, how enthusiastic people still are about this space because there is so much to do still. It's overwhelming. Man, it's been all over the place. So the, the things that are super exciting to hear about are people that are starting companies either to develop protocols or they're starting DAOs to develop different projects or they're starting new creator type of projects. It is all over the board. So there's, I wouldn't say through the conversations that I've had, there's any one theme. What's really cool to see is how many people are coming from lots of different angles. And James is also familiar with ETH Denver events as he is a local and has also attended nearly all of them. But he's also been going to other conferences this year as part of his role with Collabland. So it was really interesting to hear how this event has compared and contrasted with those that he's recently been to. James said, This conference is huge. Like yeah. compared to like last year and I mean every year it's grown, but this is kind of like feels like a different level. Yeah. And I just see a faces I don't know most of anyone when typically I can like spot out people in a crowd. Yeah, it's you know, really being the comp- going through the conference circuit because of Collabland. We've been to a lot of NFT conferences. Interesting. And the NFT conferences are very different. It's very much like partying culture more like mainstream in a way and coming here uh to east denver i don't see that nft presence it's a different kind of vibe and i think it's a mix of like being in the bear market and this being more developer centric i'm really interested like you were just saying what projects are going to come out of here because we have like new, I don't know, generation of developers. Every cycle, account abstraction is like pretty huge. Uh, and MEV is pretty huge. And then like ZK, like all the you know, zero knowledge stuff is pretty huge. So I think those three kind of advanced threads, like kind of going deep into the weeds there is really interesting. Over the days, during my time spent roaming the massive floor space of ETH Denver, I'd also noticed a lot of new faces. At previous events I'd attended, I'd oftentimes run into people from the local blockchain community with higher frequency, seemingly around every corner that I used to turn. So I was interested to hear from first-time attendees about how this event stacked up to any preconceived notion or hype that they might have heard. Mike from Thesis said, Yeah, definitely uh, me don't even exceed my expectations of being the first in Denver. Like I mentioned, uh, it's, it's, it's a very different different vibe than some of the other conferences that I've been to. Uh, and yeah, you get you get more of a, a builder vibe. You get more of the people who uh, you know truly believe in, in what we're trying to build here. And uh, it was, it's, it's, it's massive. I didn't know it was this big. Uh, so that was certainly, <laughs> certainly a big shock. But yeah, I think uh, I've had tons of great conversations here i think uh the people that we've talked to about about tahoe and threshold are all super excited about what we're building and that's what it's all about yeah are you going to be coming back next year i'm gonna try definitely <laughs> definitely i don't know just saying um i broke two ribs on the mountains before eat denver so if that i hope that doesn't happen again next year if i come back uh but yeah that definitely trying to trying to be my way back Scott from Wagme Games has been attending a lot of NFT and gaming conferences as of late, 
So his take offered a bit of context for how games can be part of blockchain-specific events. Scott went on to say, I'd say it's like the bigger bigger conference because this is set up to be an actual spot where like you stay in the conference. Like for example, NYC NFT was big and there was a lot of people, but like all over the place. The goal was to go to like other locations for different brands that had rented out space and things like that. Permissionless was cool, but I felt like it it didn't have as much variety as ETH Denver has. And ETH Denver has a lot of different like gaming specific type stuff, which obviously I'm really I really like, you know. So I would say so far out of all the conferences, this one's more tailored to the things I would like to see. So I'm happy we're here. Beyond interesting hackathon prizes and informational presentations on various facets of the blockchain and crypto space, events like ETH Denver serve as a great medium for the dreaded word networking. While it can be an unfavorable topic for the introverted developer, Ultimately, when anxieties subside, these types of events attract really interesting people, and it's great to connect with them. Hillary from Bullish Terriers said, It's been really cool, and I've met a lot of really amazing people. Like, just honestly, my favorite part has just been like meeting you. You know, just who am I standing next to? Like, what are they up to? And then it's kind of amazing. Like, how you're finding solutions for these things that you might be building or you might want to be a part of, like just seems, it seems like they've just fallen into my lap, like since I've been here. So it's a bit overwhelming and I wish I had like the time and the energy to like stay the entire time and really like squeeze out every last drop. Like, you know, because it's funny, like I've been to a couple of events that were like very oversold, very crowded. And then I had planned on leaving, you know, and then I, go over by the fire and I've met like, you know, the CEO of the whole company is like just hiding in the back, you know? And it's like, those are the moments where you're like, okay, it was worth it. Like we had a long conversation. We really connected. And like, I'm, I'm like, I feel super optimistic leaving here. And I think probably everyone has the same feeling. Like you get re-energized, like, and I think that's what we need in a bear market. From the small sample size I was able to collect through these various conversations, many of the attendees generally had nothing but positive things to say about ETH Denver. I wondered, was the quote-unquote ETH Denver vibe something that the co-founders and volunteer staff were worried about losing since we were moving venues and into a larger space? Kent, one of the co-organizers, said, I feel relieved. Um, I was... Cautiously optimistic that the vibe would scale up um, from the sports castle, which is our spiritual home and had been uh, so amazing over the past several years. And we had to scale up. You know, there, it was getting crowded, big lines, not enough bathrooms, but it was such a special place. But I was hoping it would make, the new place would maintain this sort of like kind of gritty, punky vibe and yeah. not feel too polished and corporate. And this, this place, the National Western Complex, is perfect. It's like, it's big, it's vast, but it hasn't really changed the, um, the, the fundamental, like the, the fundamental ETH Denver vibe is still here. One of my favorite things about the blockchain and cryptocurrency space is the ubiquitousness of the technology and all the various industries and verticals that this open source decentralized network technology touches. Something that really stuck out to me is that it doesn't matter if you're an industry OG or brand new to the space. If you've got the drive and the passion and the vision, then there's plenty of room for you here. Leo from Fanguard and CU Boulder talked about how his team's platform is coming together each day. We connected over, wow, 40 interviews now around the local Colorado area um, regarding venues and how they do their ticketing. So, and what the problems we found out was like the security of tickets, people getting to events and the secondary market and how that works and scamming and price gouging scalpers. So we created, we created FanGuard, which basically uses NFTs to help with the ticketing industry, to help with the ticketing market. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so right now we are creating our first smart contracts through NEO, um, which is awesome. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks to Tyler and Dylan. Um, yeah, so so the one thing we, we, we like about it is right now, um, I, I, I'm more of the blockchain person and my friends are more like the Web 2.0 side, the front end, the back end. 
So basically, I work with them to help connect the Neo blockchain side to our front end, not to our Web 2.0 backend. Of course, being a developer isn't the only way to carve a niche in or contribute to the blockchain and crypto space. I am a living testament to that. I write articles, I host meetups, and I have a podcast that I am ever so thankful to you, the listener. Alex from the People Talking Podcast went on to share his thoughts on creating content in the Web3 space. I wanted to start my own podcast, but I started to ask myself, why would I do another Web3 podcast? Because there are so many out there and it seems to bring on the same guests talking about the same type of specific things in Web3. So the, the angle that I wanted to take differently, and this was values that I had before, is what I found is as I was talking to more and more people in the Web3 space, I found so many of them had lots and lots of different interests outside of Web3. And we're almost similarly obsessed with those things, but never got to talk about them because, again, they're going on the same podcast, talking about the same Web3-specific types of content. But what happens is these different topics that they get obsessed with always influence their perception and how they look at Web3 and how they how they build in Web3. So, for example, I've had guests on talking about probability and gambling, using physics to design better metaverses, storytelling, conflict, Native American history and how those cultures were very decentralized and there's so many learning lessons that he's learning from that from that culture upon how to maybe design a more decentralized ecosystem within Web3. And the thing is, these topics are never directly related to Web3. So the podcast is called People Talking, just at the atomic level, probably the most simple description of all podcasts, <laughs> right? It's a little bit of that Midwest self-deprecating youth, right? So it's called People Talking. Uh, it's on it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a few other smaller different podcast hosting sites. And what might be easier to do is if you search people talking and then my name, Alex Mexicot, sort by podcasts and shows, it'll come up. Getting into the podcast space and to take a little bit of a step back, like everyone else, I feel like in this space is you're not only just doing a full-time gig or doing one thing, but you're doing lots and lots of different things at the same time. Along these lines of creative avenues for crypto creators... There are other artistic endeavors that can also be associated with good causes. Hillary from Bullish Terriers described what inspired her NFT project. I uh, just kind of like got introduced to the NFT scene about a year and a half ago, kind of started drawing a little bit on my own, um, dropping some things on OpenSea that were getting picked up. And, I, you know, like I, to me, I was so shocked that like no one knows who I am. I'm just posting this random thing. <laughs> And like within 10, 15 minutes, someone is buying it for like four or $500. And, you know, I like couldn't believe it. And I work for Biwasis. Yeah, uh, Wazi in real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, like just kind of after seeing the power of positivity around the scene, like how sweet everybody is and how they get so excited about what you're doing, it really made me think about uh, something that I'm passionate about in my real life, which is helping rescue animals. I have two rescue bull terriers and uh, I kind of uh, originally thought about doing a meme coin and I'm like, that's dangerous and I'm not a, coin. yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so I was like <laughs> the bull token, you know, or whatever. I don't know. So then I thought, you know, what if we, you know, what if I did a little acute PFP collection? And that was like right when PFPs were like starting to come out and be popular and um, I thought, you know, this is such an amazing way to be able to raise these funds. In real life, we have a group of about 200 uh, Bull Terrier owners who kind of found each other through Instagram. And um, so we have this awesome core Instagram group. Like, uh, communally, we have over 2 million followers, like, collectively between us. And, like, for almost a decade now, we've been doing a small fundraiser every summer. <laughs> Bull Terriers love bananas. And so <laughs> we have just, uh, we kind of figured that out. Like after talking to each other, it's like they're obsessed with bananas. And so we made a banana themed uh, fundraiser where we sell merch every year trying to raise money for these rescue groups. And it, it's called Nannerfest and uh, <laughs> it's coming up. And um, I, I would love to segue this into more of a children's brand, like having a cartoon, having all of the things like we, you know, like we have plushies in the works, a lot of toys. I want to write children's books, like, um, but with a mission, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I want everybody to know when they see a bullish terrier what it is. 
Scott shared a bit about how he got his foot into the door at Wagme Games and what the team is currently working on. I actually joined Wagme first as an influencer, so last February. And then after my first month with them, essentially what I did was I utilized all those contacts I had made from when I first started getting into crypto and basically gave Wagme a huge push. Our first game is called Wagme Defense. So Wagme Games is our franchise. And our goal here is mass adoption. And Wagme Defense is a tower defense game. It's a strategy game, very similar to Clash Royale. There's three towers on one side, three towers on the other side. The goal is to blow up the middle tower. And it's a three-minute game loop. Alongside the creative projects our guests are working on, others are also focused on educating people, from newbies to seasoned developers, about various aspects and facets of multiple blockchain technologies. For example, Michael from C4 talked about his transition from working at a decentralized exchange into an education-focused entity. I'm here representing C4, which is a nonprofit that helps uh, educate and provide standards for the space, but also uh, the Shapeshift DAO, which is uh, how I spend my day job. For five and a half years, I was Shapeshift's chief information security officer. And although Shapeshift is shut down now and I no longer work for Shapeshift, I continue to work on Shapeshift. I had the pleasure of, uh, of leading a team for one of the most ambitious projects that this Shapeshift DAO embarked on. Uh, and that's a way to get us off of centralized AWS as a backend and have us on a decentralized RPC backend instead. I'm also happy to say that as far as C4 goes, my day-to-day involvement with that nonprofit organization uh, has dropped a lot, mostly cool. because we have amazing staff members now working full-time for C4 to help it accomplish its mission. Our executive director, Jessica, is a spitfire. She is awesome at everything uh, that, that she does. Uh, she comes from a background of education, which is perfect for our mission. Uh, and through her leadership, we were able, uh, over the last year, we launched the uh, Certified Ethereum Professional Exam, and we launched the translations, the Spanish translations, as well oh, really? as launching the CCSSA, the Cryptocurrency Security Standard Auditor Exam. So three huge milestones all within the last year, uh, largely because of Jessica's leadership. After scratching the surface, then there are education efforts that really seek to hone into the specifics of code bases and seek to educate core developers of blockchain networks. One such avenue for teaching developers is through a rigorous course, which Dan from Parity Technologies talked a little bit about. I got into Parity Technologies, and this is the engineering team that's mostly behind Polkadot, um, and putting in all of the, the hard work behind Substrate. This is the blockchain building framework in Rust that we use to build Polkadot itself and all these parachains that connect to it. But a lot of what I've been doing is understanding how Substrate works, why it works, all these complicated systems of building blockchains. And what's become increasingly apparent to us is that, one, it's really hard. And two, it's really hard for people to understand how to do this, and there's n- there's no program for it. So out of this has come uh, the Polkadot Blockchain Academy. It's Polkadot in name only, though, in brands, and I think that's just because it's subsidized pretty much entirely by Parity presently, and mm-hmm. shortly will be by Polkadot's treasury itself very, okay. uh, very soon. Uh, this is an academically rigorous program um, that's in-person that we're going to run uh, two to three times a year, depending on how much uh, we were able to, around the world to teach people core engineering concepts, right? It's an academically rigorous program to go from like competent-ish engineer who knows something about Rust out to a very well-established baseline understanding of all the fundamentals with no gaps to build secure and absolutely robust um, consensus systems. Then there are also products, tools, and dApps that folks are working on building, whether it's for the end user or the development team. For the end user, Mike from Thesis talked about two of his team's projects that had booths at ETH Denver. Thesis is a uh, crypto venture startup studio. So we uh, build projects internally, incubate them, and then uh, and then spin eventually spin them out. Uh, so you know the the, the bird flies flies away <laughs> through the nest. Uh, so here we have uh, two projects. One is Threshold, which is uh, the uh, the decentralized Bitcoin to Ethereum bridge. One of the big, uh, big uh, themes in Bitcoin now are the the ordinals, right? <laughs> uh, you know, kind of a contentious little <laughs> subject. Look, look, 
they're building on Bitcoin, and that's cool, right? Like, I think I think it's super cool that they're experimenting on Bitcoin, just like uh, that uh, Ethereum developers have been doing for for many many years. Uh, so yeah, you know, we with some minimal changes, we can have a uh, Bitcoin ordinal bridge to to Ethereum, uh, and 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 we're work, you know, we're we're researching that, we're working on that. The other project is is Tahoe. We're the um, uh, community-owned open-source Web3 wallet, and you know, I think the big difference between us and a lot of the other wallets is is that, that we, we really embrace and espouse the Web3 ethos of community ownership, transparency, uh, and yeah, and, and also it's just a beautiful wallet to use. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you know, we the we have in, in wallet swaps, and that all that all the fees for that goes goes back to the treasury. And cool. The community gets to. Uh, to, to vote on, you know, how we use those funds and, and the, you know, the future features of, of the wallet. In the past few years, it feels as if community participation and governance models have really taken off within the blockchain space. From DAOs to token-gated communities, there are new models of group participation that continue to arise. James from Collabland talked a little bit about what it's like to engage with and build for these communities. Collabland helps manage your token community, your tokenized community. And so we offered, and we invented the, the space of token gating, the, the whole industry. And we just had a token launch last week. We have about, I think this morning when I was checking, uh, almost 90,000 uh, holders. Wow. Yeah, and our DAO that we also launched just crossed 50,000 members. Instead of going and competing directly on features, mm -hmm. why don't we open up the platform for third-party developers to build on top of? Very cool. And now we think of ourselves as Collabland is not token gating anymore, but of a distribution platform. Because if you're a third-party developer and you want to reach an NFT community, what are you going to do? You're going to, one, build whatever the app you're building, and then two, and a lot of developers don't really think about this, but distribution is very hard. Mm -hmm. How do you market? How do you get awareness, right? And this is what these hackathons are about, to provide awareness to you know, great and interesting ideas. But with Collabland, what we want to offer is instant distribution. So if you have a great app and you want to be able to reach NFT communities, you can just build on top of Collabland and you know, you'll get direct access into that NFT's Discord server if they choose to install your app. Mm -hmm. As the rate of developers onboarding into the Web3 space increases, we're going to be hearing more about both niche and broader projects simultaneously. With so many ETH Denver 2023 hackathon participants, I was blown away by the types of developers that are out there. So I was a little bit curious to hear what finding developers was like five years ago when they might have been a little bit more rare. Kent, the ETH Denver co-organizer and former head of R&D at Shapeshift, shared what it was like looking for developers back then. So a Solidity developer back in the day was like a unicorn, an ultra rare unicorn. Like, and now, you know, Solidity developers are, are still hard to come by, but, you know, this is more of a thing now. Yeah. Um, I, it still feels like we're on the frontier, but back in the day at Centralized Shapeshift, it was, um, it was also a feeling of like very much just like, okay, we're making this up, we're like improving. Sort of like to use a music analogy, like playing some improv guitar solo. We're going to hit some bad notes, and we don't really know what we're doing. It might turn into a train wreck, but hopefully not. But now it feels like we've got some stuff under our belt, and it feels smoother. So, um, yeah, relative to then, it feels much more um, inevitable that this technology is going to be a thing. Over the years, it's become more and more noticeable, but no more so than this year. And that is... ETH Denver was a multi-chain melting pot. Throughout the event, I saw shirts, booths, and presentations from the Cosmos, Near, Polkadot, and various L2 ecosystems alongside the Neo swag I wore. And people were even talking about building on Bitcoin. Kent, the ETH Denver co-organizer, touched upon this theme and highlighted some of the multi-chain discussions that were taking place this year. 
Two themes, I would say. There's a lot going to be happening on roll-ups, just seeing like the different iterations of roll-ups. You have so many variants right now, and there's going to be just a huge proliferation and Cambrian explosion of those. And then also multi-chain. You know, you have you, a lot of people, I've never heard this at Ethereum, but a lot of people are talking about Bitcoin for a change. You know, you have ordinals now. That's a whole new thing, man. And like, that's great. I love Bitcoin. I hate Bitcoin maxis. And to see some innovation on that, you know, is, is great. So I think there'll be some some developments on that front for sure that that's exciting i can't recall seeing a bitcoin centered type of hackathon project at prior ETH denver so that was really cool to see this just confirmed my thesis in terms of like you can tell there's innovation happening in different spaces different chains you can tell these people are committed they they have awesome ideas and every you know every blockchain has trade-offs i'm an ethereum guy myself i think that's the most that provides the best balance of you know scaling and decentralization and security Kind of, especially with roll-ups. However, like you know, there's different design spaces, and it would be tremendous folly to say that oh, you know, this one thing is is all it is, all there is. We, for the sake of building a vibrant eco ecosystem, we need different, um, we need different chains. A hope of mine as we progress further into the multi-chain world is that there is less crypto tribalism among all of the token holders. This is not a game where it is A or B but A and B and C and so forth. Dan from Parity Technologies acknowledged how different chains can serve different developers' needs. The thing that drew me to the ecosystem originally in the 2017-2018 range, in particular, was Ethereum Denver that happened the first one in 2018. And it was the culture and the people that, that sunk it for me. It was like, this technology is really interesting and the crypto is kind of cool, I guess, but like the people and the clear vision about trying to make a better world, like... And some of the most intelligent, brilliant people that I've ever met in my life were here. So that's what I'm a maximalist in, is Web3 vision and people. If Solidity can do what they need to do, they probably should do that, right? It's easier, it's probably faster to make happen. There's way more support and education around it. So if you need something better though, and more custom, more optimized, you come in and find our stack. And then from there, hopefully you can find the real value proposition of Polkadot, which is the shared security model. And I, what I'm really excited and maybe bullish on is what Polkadot can provide that other bridged technologies and other um, general like multi-chain environments uh -huh. are lacking, at least right now. Um, for instance, Cosmos, right? It's a very vague and unclear security model across chains, right? So we definitely, we've got the Cosmos SDK mm -hmm. that you can build your chain. Cool. Um, but this IBC, <clears throat> it's not clear what security you're going to get from that, yeah. depending on who you're talking to. In an industry as far-reaching as blockchain and crypto, there are so many projects, people, and ideas to follow. I enjoyed getting to ask each of the guests, what are the trends or the needs of users moving forward that you're keeping an eye on? Answers varied from very technical perspectives to education-oriented and community-themed concepts. Hillary from Bullish Terriers touched on a few of these topics. There's so much innovation in the space continually. You know, it's not even just about picking winners. It's about picking uh, quality and longevity. Yeah. Um, I do have that in real life with my group of over, you know, 200 people. It's just a matter of teaching them how to safely get involved with this space. So like, so we're looking at a way to sort of onboard new people to web three and, um, have a fiat on-ramp for them cool. and, and make sure that they understand about, you know, wallet safety and security and whatnot. It could also be as simple as just making a really fun game for people to play that will onboard the next wave of blockchain users. Scott from Wagby Games said, I feel like in the crypto space, we need games. Of course, there's room for first-person shooters and there's room for these huge metaverses, but your average Web2 gamer does not want to even look at those games. And mobile is 53% of the market. So everyone has a phone, everyone has time for a mobile game. But what about the users around the globe who aren't gamers? What about the everyday average citizen on their mobile apps or those who are just surfing the web? You know, the ones who don't care about underlying protocols. Alex from the People Talking podcast spoke a bit about what he thinks the technical and cultural aspects of the blockchain space will be moving forward. I do think that UX is going to continue to be something that people are focusing on. 
And you have to continually extrapolate away the kind of back end, which is the blockchain aspect of these different apps. The ultimate metric for me and the UX side of things is people don't even know that it's blockchain or what blockchain it is or NFT, the word NFT is never used. Like extrapolating that more and more away, that's going to be an iterative thing. I bet it's continuing to be a focus for next year, but hopefully we're in a much better spot and we can say UX is still a focus, but here are the, here are the ways that we've actually moved with the last year. As far as Vibe, I think this is going to get more and more eclectic. The types of people who come in here right now, I, I wouldn't even necessarily right now, maybe in last year or the year before that, very much a technology-focused type uh, and finance-focused type of conference. But now I think it's becoming more of a culture-based uh, culture-based type of uh, community. Yeah. This, uh, that's the big word I keep people I see people keep saying is it's it's a community. And the thing is, people are coming from lots of different avenues, as I'm sure you are seeing on this show. Where did you get crypto build? And the more and more you're going to interview people, the more different uh, like type of uh, backgrounds that they're going to have. And these different angles that they're going to be coming into Web3 at because there are more use cases built out. And that light bulb moment is going to be very different for lots of different people. It is the variety of types of people here and the ones that are coming that make the crypto space such a vast array of ideas and potential. As different types of cultures begin to embed themselves and make an impact on the blockchain industry, different use cases will arise. Mike from Thesis touched upon the diversity of ideas and architecture. That's part of the thing that, that keeps you on your toes. Uh, you know, I just think that there's so much creativity now where you like, we're, we're still really early in this space, right? Uh, aside from even though we've got, you know, all this coverage on, uh, on CNBC or all these news outlets, we're still really early in the experimentation phase. There's still the, the, the core infrastructure being built out. You know, a lot of people was like, okay, why do we need another five layer ones? Right. Because it's just the core, well, no one's figured it out yet, right? It's the core infrastructure. So, you know, I think on one hand, nothing surprises me too much nowadays. On the other hand, you know, I think I am also surprised about like all the creativity and, and uh, uh, the hard work that's going into building out the, the core infrastructure. I also wanted to touch upon a theme that I'm excited to look back on in a year or three. Will institutions and retail crypto users develop a similar affinity for self-custodial solutions? Mike went on to say, A lot of those institutions got burned, right? And, 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 I, and I always say this a lot where uh, whether it's a retail user, investor, or institutional user, investor, uh, most people don't care about decentralization until they really have to. And most people should care more. Uh, and it is, you know, it's, it's kind of the truth, right? I think a lot of people just want to uh, do what's convenient. And, uh, but then, you know, sometimes they pay the price. And yeah. no one wants to see them pay the price. Uh, but I mean, that's why we're all here. We want to make sure that, that they don't have to pay the price. It's not just broad and cultural shifts and trends the industry will need to keep an eye on moving forward, but also a new era for internet architecture. Michael from C4 and formerly Shapeshift went on to highlight a really cool project he's been working on with an array of shadowy supercoders. Archeo is a decentralized RPC network. It's a decentralized Infura. Rather than uh, talking to a centralized batch of AWS servers or a centralized uh, Infura, you can use Archeo to find uh, a Bitcoin node, an Ethereum node, a Litecoin node, any of the blockchains that you need and get all the data that, that your application needs. Cool. Um, the launch date hasn't been announced yet, but it is coming later this year in 2023. I would encourage people to uh, get involved with the testnet because that's a surefire way of getting Archeo tokens at launch cool. uh, to, to make sure that, that you get a, a larger allocation in the airdrop than the average person. In such a rapidly evolving tech space, something that people might have wanted three years ago might be something that they want nothing to do with today. There are also corners of the crypto space today that weren't buzzing three years ago. James from Collabland talks about some of the changes over the past few years, where his team is seeing current demand, and predicts what will become a primary area of focus in the years coming. So we sit in the middle of NFTs, DAOs, and DeFi. 
and we see a lot of mainstream adoption and growth happening in NFTs. And so this really interesting, like a year and a half, two years ago when we first started, it was really like crypto natives. And what they were looking for was, we want to make sure that you respect our privacy. And uh, whenever we want to verify ourselves, we want to sign a message. But now the climate or the market has completely shifted. No one wants to sign a message anymore because that's really the main scam attack vector. And so the these cycles move so quickly. I, you know, been a software developer for 25 years and I haven't seen cycles move this quickly. When we went from web one to web two, we saw social move faster than web one, but like web three is like light speed. And so what we are seeing and focusing on with Collabland is trying to service the this NFT community. So that's really where we're seeing the growth. And so my hypothesis moving forward now, uh, community is here to stay. I think that the crypto community, developers specifically, don't really understand the breadth of research when it comes to ID and decentralized IDs and verifiable credentials. And so I think with the coming emergence of AI, things are going to get weird really quick. And it's been this interesting like decade of knowledge of decentralized IDs where we, we want to own our own data. Mm-hmm. But that was always kind of a nice to have. But now with the coming AI, no one in a few years is going to know what's real and what's fake. And so now a nice to have will quickly become a need to have where you're, I think, I think this is where the internet is going. You're going to distrust everything on the internet unless you can verify it. Ultimately, there was an overwhelming sense of growth at ETH Denver. There was a growth in attendees, in presentations, in Web3 companies, in hackathon projects, and a general sense of growth in the mainstream arena. From where I stand, ETH Denver serves as a canary in the coal mine, and the bird is singing a nice tune. Kent touched upon this positive outlook from his perspective as a co-organizer. I also feel more optimistic than ever about the future of this space, just walking around and seeing how many like incredibly smart people and interested people and curious people are involved. You can just, it's, it's um, very tangible evidence of this space is growing. Like you can see like just the number of booths just to, in the, across the different spaces. You know, back in the day, or even just last year, we sort of had like the general booth space. Now we have the DeFi area, the DAO area. We have things for different spaces, uh, different sub-niches or market segments. And it's really cool to just see kind of that, that kind of evolution. Um, you know, will all these projects succeed? For sure not, you know, but that's yeah. okay. It's like it's like the thousand flowers are blooming. And it's part of, part of why I mentioned I'm so optimistic is you can just see so much going on. There's like this critical mass. You can feel the critical mass. There's so many like interested people that want to think outside the box. And, you know, I feel like we're getting more developers in the space. Anecdotally, it feels like maybe the space could benefit from more developers. That may, Maybe that's a challenge moving forward, but I'm really just positive and optimistic. I feel like in the year between here and now, there's going to be 10 years worth of innovation. Uh, I think there'll still be a lot of um, angst about the regulatory stuff. That's probably not going to be any different, but it kind of rallies everybody behind this idea of decentralization. Yeah. And um, wow, now that I kind of feel like, okay, now that we've moved to this venue, we, we got that down. So let's maybe refine on that and have an either, even cooler event next year. Um, and I feel like it's going to be, there's going to be more people and uh, people will self-select to join this in cra- crazy space we call crypto. So yeah. Check in one year, we'll see how it goes, but it's going well so far. This wasn't my first crypto conference or event, but for those who never met the actual people working in the crypto space, and I'm talking about those who are only familiar with online personalities that might be PFPs on Twitter that have a hot take, East Denver served as an awakening or an aha moment. The people from this event weren't just people who have hot takes all the time. They were individuals. They were builders, developers, 
founders, investors, lawyers, and artists. By the final day of the conference, it was obvious that everyone was absolutely spent from multiple days walking around and long nights talking with others at social hours or post-conference events. But on that final day, there was still an excitement in the air that could be felt and people yearned to connect with others and see what it is that we can all build together. Looking forward to next year's event, I can only hope the trends continue in the onboarding of new developers and the growth in decentralized networks and their tools. And I hope that we get to hear about more sensible legislation and less about concerns from VCs and lawyers who delivered presentations this year. If you're interested in attending ETH Denver 2024, the best way to keep up to date with the event is by going to ethdenver.com. I also want to thank Michael Perklin, Scott Herman, Dan Shields, Mike Chan, Alex Mexicott, Hillary Sims, James Young, Leo Gwynn, and Kent Barton for helping to contribute their voices for this special episode of the Smart Economy podcast. Attention was a scarce resource at ETH Denver, and everyone was being pulled in multiple directions at once, so I really appreciate the time that each of you gave me. Also, shout out to the Neo News Today team who handled my written content assignments while I was off gallivanting around this amazing event. On that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep Neo News Today in mind when voting for your Neo Council representative as part of Neo's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.